Hello, and welcome to the Living Word Pensacola podcast. Here you will find teaching from our weekly services where we focus on developing a Christ-centered life. We are delighted you have chosen to spend time with us today, and we know today's message has the power to help you grow with your faith journey. So, let's turn our hearts and our minds to God's Word as we begin today's episode. Well, happy Thanksgiving. Should I, should I teach on turkey this week? It was funny. I, there's a YouTube channel that I was looking at because Aiden and I are talking about smoking a turkey. And the YouTube channel is called Meat Church. <laughs> Meat Church. Yeah, that was kind of funny. It's a whole thing. And it's actually really popular. And they must be sponsored by Yeti because they have Yeti everything. They're talking about, I'm taking them out of Yeti this and doing my Yeti, all this you know, brining Yeti. There's a briner Yeti. I don't even know. But no, this week, um, as you'll discover here, I'm a lot like Pastor Doug back in Illinois. He's, he's who I call my pastor. Um, but I don't always look to the calendar to see what God wants to teach this week. I don't look to what is going on in people's lives to see what God wants to teach this week. I look to the Spirit. We're a Spirit-first church. What does God want to say? Because God's calendar and the Jewish calendar are different than the American calendar. They're a lot different than the American calendar. And if you're watching things going on in the world right now, you'll realize we are in the last days. We are in a time where, uh, you know, all of the wars going on in Israel, all of the things that are happening over there, this is the end times. There's a lot of prophetic words from Daniel and Isaiah that are coming to pass that are, that are happening. And it's a time to be paying attention to what God's doing in the spirit, not necessarily paying attention to what man is doing in the world. And that contradiction is going to be drawn out week by week where we're going to begin to really start to see a distinction between kingdom way and world's way. And we're going to have to get the world out of the church. That's the big problem that we're noticing is that the church has become too much like the world. And it's just this massive production. Now, it's, it's kind of a joke, and it's become lots of memes. There was a Christmas last year. I want to say it was a church out in Dallas that did a Christmas production, and the pastor, like, ziplined in from the back of the room, and there was lights and smoke and all this other stuff. And, and they, you know, whatever God tells them to do is what they need to do. If that's what God told them to do, more power to them. But in all reality... There's a lot of the world's way of doing things in the church and in our own lives. The biggest thing that I've noticed that we talk about constantly is the amount of selfishness in our life and the amount of selfishness because in our life brought into the church because the church is a body of believers. Now, this week, not talking about turkey or smoking turkey, although it's going to be great and we're going to have a wonderful Thanksgiving this week. I already look for it. We're not going to smoke a turkey for Thanksgiving. I'm going to make it traditional in the oven, but we're going to mess around. Aiden and I are going to learn how to, or he's going to teach me. He's got more experience smoking meat than I do. He worked at Voodoo Barbecue for a long time, but so I will learn from the feet of the master. But we have to, uh, we have to distinguish between the way the world does stuff and the way that God does stuff. The kingdom way is always going to yield better results in the Christian's life, okay? I remember back when I was uh, 20, gosh, this was before California, so I was maybe 20, 21 years old. Um, I was driving a truck actually way back then. I was delivering carpet for flooring surfaces in Champaign, Illinois. And I remember thinking at that point in time, I'm done driving a truck. I'm, you know, and so I didn't drive a truck, I drove a tow truck. 
And that wasn't any better. So I got out of driving a tow truck and I actually started working for a company called Midwest Cellular. And I got into selling cell phones. And, and they had the Nokia 918. Dave knows what I'm talking about. You guys are too young. And I remember when the, uh, when the Motorola StarTac flip phone came out and everybody wanted one. And oh my gosh, they were viral. And then that became a thing. And then Motorola introduced the Razor which they had the audacity to charge $500 for, and people freaked out. You had to pay $500 for this Razor flip phone, and I'm like, this is top of the line. This is the best thing that's out there, and it sold like hotcakes. And now you can't find a $500 cell phone. <laughs> They're all ridiculously expensive, way more than that. That same phone is probably worth $500, right? But man, they were all that. And I started working for Midwest Cellular, and I was having a, a great time there. And I was in sales, and, and um, they gave me an opportunity to be uh, assistant manager of a, of a Midwest Cellular in Hickory Point Mall in Decatur, Illinois. So growing up at Farmer City, my kids will know, but you, if you guys are obviously from Florida. But Champaign or Bloomington is where we normally went because it was all highway. You know, if you went through the country, you could end up in Decatur. But a lot of people in my area didn't go that way to work, but I did. So I went down there. I was standing in the mall one day, and this lady came up, and she's, uh, she's you know, to buy a phone. And we, this whole sales process, I kid you not, she had me convinced. I thought we were getting ready to sign a contract and her buy a phone. It was a great sales experience. You know, I've got all my sales skills going. And at the very end, she stops and says, I don't actually want to buy a phone. She said, my name is Lisa. And she said, I'm the corporate district director for a company called Primeco. We're putting a brand new store in Champaign. I am impressed by your skills. I want you to come manage the store. And then we started talking about salary, and it was way more than I was making at this place. And I'm like, this is cool, right? So then I'm back in Champaign to where I want to be. But I learned a lot of things about Lisa. Lisa traveled around, right? She was a female in a district position back in the early 2000s, which they struggle with the, the whole gender, you know, equality things. But she was out to make sure everybody knew she was boss and she kind of ruled with an iron fist. And what I liked about her at the beginning started to annoy me the longer I worked for her. I mean, I had a boss like that. Really liked him at the beginning. The longer you work for him, you realize, yeah, I didn't see everything when I was hired. And there's some stuff going on here. And, and man, this is really challenging. You've had that experience, Axel, right, with, with your mom because she's the only boss you've had thus far, and she didn't even pay you. But she's been the same since you were born, so. <laughs> but I will never forget, they did a competition, and they did this competition to where if you could meet your sales goal and whoever could sell the most, they were giving away t tickets. We're going to take you to Chicago, put you in a hotel for a night, fancy dinner, and go to a White Sox baseball game. And you got front row seats on third baseline. First row, third base, right by the third baseman. And, I, and this was when they built a new Comiskey Park, which is now called U.S. Cellular Field or something or other. But there was tickets online. Well, you guys are probably shocked by this, but Dad's a little competitive, right? I wanted to win this. So I went in to start helping my people sail, right? And so we get into this. I kid you not, they set our goal. This is your goal as a store. We did 302% to goal in our sales. I mean, three times what they thought we were going to sell. Crushed it. And I got the tickets and I got to go to the game. But she came down to visit the weekend after the, the sale had finished and all this had gone on and we crushed the numbers. And I was just standing there proud of my team, proud of these guys that I worked with. We're in Marketplace Mall, right in front of where the Aeropostale store is. And I used to see Miss Stephanie over there all the time because she managed the Aeropostale store. Anyway, she came down 
she went, oh, we had, a, we had a, one of those big kiosks in the middle of the mall. And she went through and found all the different things that she saw wrong with my kiosk. This is wrong and that's wrong. And you need to make sure that this is in stock. Not once said anything about the 300%. Not once said, great job on your sales. No encouragement whatsoever. Just came in and found all the things we were doing wrong. By the way, you won. Here's the tickets. Here's the dates. And I was just like, seriously? But she saw that if, in her mind, if she just come in and just, obviously you're doing some stuff right, but I need to tell you what you're doing wrong. And I thought, I just don't like that, right? But I've had, I've had multiple bosses in my life. I've had bosses that I would do anything for. Patrick Bean, he and I got along really well. I would do anything for Mr. Bean. I mean, he was a great boss, right? But he, he was one that would be that way. I, I was telling mom this, you know, I'd go on vacation, we would go somewhere and I would come back and I could, every single time, I would come back, walk into his office. He'd say, hey, how was vacation? I said, great. And he goes, I'm never letting you leave again. I said, what do you mean? And he goes, when you leave, everything falls apart. I forget how much you actually do around here. You are needed. He was great at that. He was great at showing me value. Whether it was true or not, whether things fell apart or not, I have no idea. But I felt valued by him as a boss. And I've had bosses on all extremes of the situations but we have to understand that our predisposition towards people and authority in our life cannot be determined by the good and the bad that we've seen in humans. A lot of people look at God and look at what he wants to do and they judge him based on how a human treated them in their natural world, right? Think of it this way. Matthew three seventeen. This was right after Jesus was baptized, Right? Suddenly, and a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, right? This happened immediately after Jesus was baptized. So when you study the New Testament, guess what? Had Jesus performed any miracles? None. Had he healed any sick? None. Had he done any mighty works? None. But yet at this point in time, God says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. God doesn't care about you doing the thing he's asking you to do. He's more concerned about your obedience. See, we have to get away from this performance-based mindset when it comes to God, right? Think of it this way, Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that do what? Perform for him, produce for him? No, he's a rewarder of those who seek him. God doesn't, he's not going to reward you based on what's produced in your life. He's gonna reward you based on you being obedient and seeking him, taking the step, right? He loved Jesus before Jesus ever produced anything for the kingdom. He loves you, he's proud of you, and he's a rewarder of you for just seeking him. Just seeking him. But see, this world has turned us into this reward-based philosophy of, well, if I can do something for God, if I can accomplish something for the kingdom, if I can just produce something for him, then I will feel justified in God's love towards me. When he's saying, forget about all that, seek me, and you get the reward. That's all it says. That's all it says. 
Now, the reason for this is because we don't understand kingdom principles. We're going to go into a season where we're going to start talking about faith and using our faith for spiritual things and using our faith to produce stuff in our life, but we can't even get to the subject of faith without talking about what submission really is, true submission, okay, true submission. Now, submission is one of those words that this world has turned into a bad thing, right? They use it in wrestling. You need to submit, you need to submit. And what's happening? Well, the guy's usually bent into a pretzel with somebody sitting on top of him, pushing him into face into the ground. You know, okay, I yield, I submit or whatever, right? And we look at submission like that. How many wives are out there thinking, all right, my husband is gonna bend me into this pretzel and force me into something I don't wanna do, but I'm supposed to submit because the Bible says so? When that's a completely warped and wrong translation and understanding of what submission really is. And I do want to note this for those husbands that are out there. Do you know the Bible never says, husband, tell your wife to submit? Never. What does it tell the husbands to do? Love your wife. Love your wife. That's what a husband's instruction is, is you need to love. As Christ loved the church. As Christ loved the church. What did Christ do? He came in. He healed. He prayed. If your wife's not feeling good, she's responsible to lay hands on her and start speaking health into her life. Right? He's the one that would be, he provides for the church. He brings direction for the church. He brings protection for the church. That's, that's what this love encompasses. Never once does it tell the husband, tell your wife she has to submit or enforce that in her life. Never once. Never once. And I think if husbands understood their role as husbands in the house, you would have a different result from what's going on in your wife's life too. Now, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. How many feel like life right now is just a marathon? It's just so much going on and you're constantly tired and you're constantly worn out. First of all, I challenge you to think about your words. What are you speaking over yourself? Are you saying, man, I'm just always tired. I never have enough time in the day. I never feel like I get this. And are your words producing the environment that you're living in right now? That's step one. We know the power of our words. And if we're always saying we're always tired, then you're always going to be tired because you are going to contradict what God's trying to do in your life. Remember, your voice is a higher authority in your life than even God's is. Your words will produce the atmosphere you live in. So do you constantly say, I'm just tired all the time? Or are you saying... I have spiritual energy and vitality. I have the life of the Lord that's within me. I can accomplish everything he's telling me to do today. Right? I'm redeeming the time. What are your words saying? It says, come to me who are labor and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Okay? Then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now, a lot of people see a yoke, then this is a traditional sense of somebody put on the oxen to produce and do something. But he's saying, take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So how am I supposed to take a yoke and find rest? Right? I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Take my yoke. Let me explain this. He's saying, if you will do it my way, and the kingdom way, and not the world's way, it'll actually be easy. 
It'll actually be easy instead of being challenging if you'll do it the way that I've created it to be. So how did he create it to be? Well, he says right there in the middle of Scripture, learn from me. I am gentle and lowly of heart. What does that mean? That's meekness, humility, and submission, which all go together. He's saying when you are meek and you are humble, you will find rest in what he's asking you to do. Now, let me explain. If, you're, if what you're doing for God is always hard, then it's evidence that you are doing something without grace. Grace, in its simplest Pastor Paul definition, is God's ability in us to do what he's asked us to do. That's what God's grace is. He empowers us through grace to accomplish the kingdom. Mercy is something we need because we've messed up and he's right and we're wrong and we just need the mercy of God. We just need the mercy of God. Grace is actually an empowerment. Grace and faith go hand in hand. Grace, faith, hope, love, all hand in hand. They're all part of this working together. Now, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So if what God's asking you to do is harden your life, then was it really, first of all, was it God that asked you to do it? There's a lot of things that we do that are good, but are they necessarily God? Just because something's good doesn't mean God's asked you to do it. It could be a complete distraction. It could be a complete distraction. I don't imagine any of us are going out seeking to do sin and seeking to do things that are wrong. But yet we still end up with our lives full of distractions and, and, and things that are good, but are pulling us back from what God has for us to do. Okay? So he says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So are you doing what God told you to do? Are you using your words to accomplish, right? Learn from me. So who is Jesus? Jesus is humble, lowly in heart. There's no pretension in him. There's no arrogance in Jesus. There's no pride. There's no rebellion. There is complete humility and submission to the will of God, which is what that means. That's what that, that's what that word really means is that it means I am going to prefer you over me. That's what submission means. I'm preferring his will over my will. And I want to prefer you first. Did you know that no one can make you operate in submission? Submission is your choice through your will to submit to someone, whether it's a wife to a husband, one to another, or to God. It's your choice. It's your choice. And if you're struggling with submission, then I dare to say you're struggling with humility. Because they're, they're tied in. Let me, let me go here. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished. That word nourished means caused to grow and make great. And I have brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, the one who paid the price for it, and the ox is a prophetic for the nation of Israel. The ox knows its owner. The donkey, which means peace and wealth, knows its master's crib, which means its source of food or source of supply. So peace, wealth, knows where its source is, okay? But Israel does not know, which means the intimate relationship, and my people do not, have, do not consider, which means discernment or insight. See, what's happening here is, is they have lost sight of their supply. They have lost sight of their supplier, and they've rebelled against kingdom. 
That's what he's telling us, is they've chose to do it their way instead of choosing to do it God's way. God hates rebellion, hates it. And the reason being is because God knows what rebellion produces. And when there's rebellion in your life, it has a production of bad things coming your way. And God only wants good things for you. The Bible says, I know the thoughts I think towards you of life, health. That's what it says in Jeremiah. God only wants the best for you. That's why he hates rebellion because he knows what it produces in your life when rebellion is present. See, it's not about him. He hates what it does because he has no selfishness in him. God has no selfishness in him whatsoever. It's not about him being selfish and wanting his way. He's actually thinking about you when teaching you these things because God understands submission. Not saying God has submitted to us, but God's focused on us. We need to be focused on him, right? So the reason is, is because what rebellion produces. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 19, which is for a little bit further down, if you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good of land. So he knows what submission, willingness, humility, he knows that it produces good of the land. That means your needs are met, your provision is met, you're healthy, right? They've, they've done massive studies, and I learned this in the hospital world. People that eat regular food on a healthy diet will be healthier in person. People that eat junk and garbage and, and you know, poor people and the people with less income tend to have worse health because of what they're putting in their body. It's just a fact, okay? That's why they say eating healthy is more expensive. <laughs> but if you refuse and rebel, right? If you refuse and you rebel, there's that rebellion. You're gonna be devoured by the sword, this is cause and effect. So what if you're not eating the good of the land? Is there rebellion in your life? If there's an area of your life where you feel like I am not seeing the good of the land in my, in my life in this area, then are you allowing rebellion to work in that area and you're seeing the sword instead of the goodness? See, submission is looking outside of yourself to find God. Looking outside of yourself. It was a really interesting week. I was telling mom about this. I was, in, uh, I was coming home on Friday up from Tampa. You know, it's 75 is all three lanes when you're coming up that way, right? And I'm in the far right lane because I'm driving the truck, semi, you know, big old truck, far right lane. Well, there's this flatbed in front of me, another semi truck, and he starts slowing down. So I jump into the middle lane to go around him. Well, I get almost even with him. He decides I want to speed up, so he speeds up. I thought, well, first of all, that's a little annoying because I have my cruise control set. I can only go 67 miles an hour. I have a cap. My truck cannot go any faster. We are governed, basically. It's a company truck. It's governed at 67. So he speeds up. I jump back in the right lane. 30 seconds later, he slows back down. You've got to be kidding me. I don't want to go slow. I jump back in the left lane. Well, this time I'm like, you know what? Forget it because I get about even with him and he starts speeding up again. So I just stayed in the middle lane. I'm going to let him figure out. I thought maybe he's looking for an exit. Maybe he's trying to find directions. He's distracted, you know, at the very least, because he's speeding up and slowing down. Maybe he's having a bad day. Maybe he's on the phone. I have no idea what's going on in his world. I'm just going to sit in this middle lane for a second and let him figure out what he wants to do, right? Well, all of a sudden, after being in the middle lane for about a minute, I realize there's another truck passing me in the third lane. Now, as truck drivers know, we're not supposed to be in that far left lane. No truck's left lane. It's not, I mean, they typically won't write you a ticket for it, but it's just kind of frowned upon. Leave that lane for the cars. They're going faster than you anyway. 
It's all good, right? Well, he passes me in that lane, and you can tell he's just aggravated. I call those guys super truckers. They just think they know everything, and they're faster than everybody else, and they're better than everybody else, and they just carry an attitude with them everywhere they go. So what does he do? He speeds up, gets in my lane, slows down in front of me. I thought, you've got to be kidding me. I almost hit, I almost slowed into me where I hit him. I jump into the far left lane, which I don't like to be, but I'm there because he's going slower than me, and that flatbed's still in that other lane. I start to get around this guy. What does he do? Speed up and matches my speed to block me and corner me in that third lane. I'm like, you got Why? What's the purpose of this? What's the point? You just think you need to teach me a lesson? You think I don't know how to drive? You don't think that I was in that middle lane for a reason, that I'm just sitting out there for no reason at all, just wanting to be in everybody's way? No, I'm out here because somebody else is not paying attention to what they're doing. And then it ended up in this whole thing of shuffling and whatever. I finally just slowed way down, let them all get up ahead and then resume my day and not let it get to me. But how many times in church or in our life do we come across a situation of something that we're seeing somebody do something out of the ordinary, something a little annoying, something in our way, and we're quick to judge what's happening in their life, not knowing everything they're walking through, not knowing why they made the decision that they made, but we're quick to judge them and put them in a box and tell them they need to stop doing something or do something differently or go to the bathroom before church so people keep, quit walking around so much, right? Yeah, go to the bathroom before service starts instead of during service. Children. Submission is something God wants in the church as well as in the marriage. But submission requires considering other people first. It requires discipleship. Discipleship in the church has to start with mercy and compassion. It has to. We cannot help each other grow if we're not preferring each other over ourselves. I can't truly be a, a great husband and, and want to see my wife grow if I'm not considering her needs above my own because selfishness will come in because that's the sin nature. Now, Luke 6, 36, and this is the Passion Translation because I like what it says. Show mercy and compassion for others just as your heavenly Father overflows with mercy and compassion for all. See, we're a, flex, we're a reflection of the Father. We show mercy and compassion because he does, okay? Jesus said, forsake the habit of criticizing and judging other people, and then you will not be criticized and judged in return. See, if we're quick to, to, to jump to conclusions when it comes to other people, other people are going to be quick to jump to conclusions about us, especially in the church. Now, let's just set the world aside for now. In the next few minutes, let's talk about in the church. What is the purpose and goal of living word? It's to grow together as a body of believers. And when true growth happens, there's a discipleship that happens in this body where iron is sharpening iron, right? If Dave wanted to come to me and tell me something he thought I need to adjust in my life, I would never even hear or consider Dave unless I knew that he actually really did love me really cared about me, really wanted to see the best in my life, right? If Dave were to come to me and tell me something, or if somebody else would come and tell me something, who do you think I'm gonna listen to first? The one that I know that really loves me. It's the same with God. Why do we listen to God? Because we know how much he loves us. For God so loved the world, he gave. 
because of that love, we're willing to submit and listen to what's going on, right? But if you're not one that's extending love, you're never going to see the opportunity to disciple and help somebody grow. Now, <clears throat> forsake the habit. Get rid of it. What does it mean by forsake the habit? It means it's become something in your life that's like a reflex. That's what a habit is. It's something that you do, right? 30 days of doing the same thing over and over and you can form a habit in your life that becomes autopilot, right? I get up every morning and do the same thing. I get up, I walk towards the back door because if I don't walk into the laundry room, the dogs won't go outside. So I walk into the laundry room, the dogs go outside, I go in and use the bathroom. By the time I'm walking out of the bathroom, they're usually standing in the hallway waiting for me. I go into the kitchen, right? They want me to give them treats right away. I do not. I make coffee first. Once the coffee is brewing, then the dogs can have the treats. They've learned this. They've learned that when I hit the button and it makes a little beeping noise, they start barking at me. Before I've walked to the treat container, they've learned. Dad hit brew on the coffee pot. He's going to walk over here and pull out a treat and hand it to us, right? They understand that there's something going on here because I've made this a habit so much that even the dogs have learned it. And never so stinky last week when dad did this and walked over and that treat container was empty because we ran out of treats. Boy, they were mad at me. I, my name was Mud. I'm looking through the fridge trying to find things to get. What can I give the dog that's not terribly food that we're all going to eat? Forsake the habit. What's your reflex when it comes to other people? When you have someone that starts to irritate you, are you looking at them through the eyes of God and love first? Is that our habit of thinking, well, I wonder what happened in their life. I wonder if they had a bad morning. I wonder if they were on their way coming to work this morning and they sneezed coffee all over the windshield. I've done that. The kids were with me. They said it was great. I was taking them to school, had coffee in my mouth, and I sneezed and coffee went all over the windshield. Now, granted, the car smelled like coffee, so it wasn't bad. You know, it didn't smell bad, but it was a mess. But you have no idea... You have no idea what's gone on in someone else's life, yet we're quick to criticize and judge because of how what they're doing is affecting our life instead of taking the time to help in their life, to consider someone else before we consider us, to, to show them love and mercy and compassion. And ultimately, what are we doing? We're changing their life so that the small irritation we felt once won't come back again. But instead, what happens? We judge them, we criticize them, and that small irritation continues to grow and fester and grow and fester and grow and fester and ruins relationships and divides people and keeps people out of the kingdom is what it ultimately does. That if you as a Christian are quick to criticize others, it will ruin your testimony. It'll ruin your ability to tell somebody about Jesus, right? Back when I was at Rama, we had parking stickers. Now there was 2,000 students on campus. So they had a little Rama sticker with a number on it. And then if you, if you were in the parking lot, there were certain parking lots, if you didn't have that sticker on your car, your car got towed. I mean, you had to have this sticker. But those stickers became very obvious in the town of Tulsa and Broken Arrow. And the school would constantly get phone calls of, well, one of those Rama students with their Rama sticker drove by and flipped me the bird because their representation of Jesus was not more important than the inconvenience in the moment that they were in. Is your life that way? Is everything you do representing what Jesus does to everyone that's around you? Now, we're not all perfect. 
Dad's had days where he's been mad and yelled at other drivers. Luckily, they can't hear me from my truck, right? Daxel's had days where he yells at other people from the back seat because I've heard him. I've heard him. Dang, Texas drivers. I've heard him say it. Are we considering other people? Now, don't look to others and pronounce them guilty, and you will not experience the guilty accusations yourself. Forgive over and over, and guess what? You'll be forgiven over and over. If you're sowing these seeds of forgiveness, you're going to reap these seeds of forgiveness. Give generously, and generous gifts will be given back to you. Shaken down, make room for more. You know, it's really interesting that right in the middle of this, now if you go back to the King James, what does it say? Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give unto your bosoms. And people like to go into this group of scriptures, take that one, pull it out, and say, God's going to give me money. Right? But how many times have you heard a preacher do that? Have you heard someone do that? I'm going to reach into the middle of this whole thing's about mercy, forgiveness, compassion, and submission and pull out one scripture and ask God for money. Whenever it does it say, it just says give. It doesn't say give money. It doesn't say give finances. It says give. But what was he teaching on? He was teaching on giving mercy, giving compassion, giving forgiveness, These things, when you sow these things, you'll reap these things back. How many of you have had a bad day and you're just thinking, man, I just need someone to have mercy on me because I'm just not having the best day? Well, were you the one that sowed mercy before? Or were you the one that immediately jumped down someone's case when they were off one day and gave them no room for anything? And that's the seed you're going to get back because it's the seed you've sown. See, the true church, the way living where Pensacola is going to be, is a place of love forgiveness, mercy, compassion, grace, growth, peace, revelation. That's what this church is called to be. But that ch- this church will never produce that in here until it's in here. Until it takes root in your life, it cannot be produced in this building because this building is nothing more than a collaboration of all of us. Now, Jesus teaches us what true submission really is in verse 39. Then Jesus quoted these scriptures. What happened when a blind man pretends to guide another blind man? They both stumble in the ditch. Spiritual revelation brings spiritual sight. You cannot guide somebody in the church and how to be more mercy and compassion-oriented if you have no mercy and compassion in your own life. You cannot guide someone in the church to have more revelation into the Word of God if you're not getting more revelation in your own life. You, the blind cannot lead the blind. You want to know how to help someone else? It has to take root in your life first. Okay? You can't help someone where you have no revelation. And how, in verse 40, how could the apprentice know more than the master? For only after he is fully qualified will he be at that level. How can Daxel know more than his karate sensei? What do you call him? Not sensei. It's a different word. Master DeFour. I don't know. It sounds like Ninja Turtles to me. (laughs) Master Splinter. Yeah. Master DeFour or whatever. He's not going to know more than him, Right? until he's qualified at that level. 
the world system and rank of classification is not anywhere near the same as as the kingdoms. So which system do you esteem higher? Which system do you esteem higher? Just because someone has a higher position and rank in this world doesn't mean they're going to help you in being a better Christian or have any rank in the kingdom. People in this world with wealth, finance, and influence might have zero in the kingdom of God because where is their treasure laid up? Where's their treasure? If you want to look and how to grow better as a Christian, don't look at someone who has worldly influence. Look at someone who has spiritual influence. And someone with spiritual influence is going to be a someone who's meek and humble, full of grace and mercy and compassion. Just because they're popular in the world doesn't mean popular in the church. Verse 41. Why do you focus on the flaw in someone else's life and fail to notice the glaring flaws in your own life? See, when you're focused on the problems in someone else and forgetting about the problems in yourself, it means you're too much in the world because that's all the world does. Why do you think the world loves reality TV so much? I want to sit back and watch other people's problems. And you know what? All right. This ha- I, I don't watch a lot of reality television, but I got into the Great British Baking Show. I just like cooking, right? And I'm watching the Great British Baking Show. And I, and I feel like this is probably a reel out there because I've seen it done with other TV shows. But I'm watching the Great British Baking Show and I go through season one. I'm like, this is kind of cool. Not only do they talk funny because they're from England, but I'm learning stuff because they're like cooking and baking and whatever. What happens in season four? Oh, they didn't have enough yeast. There's not enough cook time there. They should have changed that. Oh, if they, who am I? I've never been in a cooking competition in my life, but I'm sitting back here going, oh, they're going to mess up. They're going to get voted off. They should have... I'm judging someone else who I don't even know off this TV show, right? This happens in our life. I've seen people make memes about this. I saw one recently about the TV show Suits. Like they start watching Suits and they're sitting on the couch. By like season four, they've got on a suit and tie and they look like a lawyer. You know, they're like acting or mimicking after their show. But how many times do we sit and watch these reality TVs that by the end of it, we're trying to judge someone because that's all the world wants to do is judge others. Because they think in the world, that if I can judge you and bring you down, that makes me feel better. It happens in work all the time. Dog eat dog. If I can step on you, I will get a promotion. If I can put you down, it'll bring me up. God's kingdom is the exact opposite. I can't go up until you go up first. I want to prefer other people over preferring me. Jesus laid down his life so that we could be in eternity with him. He led the way and showed us exactly how this kingdom operates. And yet we are quick to forget. We're quick to be so inwardly focused. I dare to say, and the reason we started here is because when we begin to talk about faith, you know, faith is the exact same way. Faith is the exact same way. If you use your faith for someone else instead of all about things that you need, they will get what they need and God will make sure you get what you need and it'll be better than you could have ever done yourself. But see, we misunderstand faith. A lot of people take faith, prosperity scriptures and all of these things and, it turns, and mix the world in with it and it turns into this big selfish, nothing but self-gain and selfishness. Does God want you blessed? Yes. Does God want you to have money? Yeah. It takes money to operate in this world. But money is not anywhere near as important as we put value on it. What does God say about money? Ah, it's good pavement, right? Because the Bible says heaven has streets of gold. What did he say with the gold? Ah, it looks pretty. Let's put it on the ground. 
But we put this value and esteem. Someone, and we do it with people. This person's got a lot of money. We need to listen to what they have to say. Right? They do that. Some, some movie star tells us who we should vote for in politics. Oh, and they're popular. We better listen to it. We just paid them to act like someone they're not, to be something they're not that somebody else wrote, and now they're going to say something and I'm supposed to take it as gold because I liked what they fake were in this particular movie. I don't get this. The world has got people so messed up in their thinking and their value system. God, God says the person is more important. He's willing to pay all the money in the world to get that person in heaven with him. That's what he sees. That person is more valuable than all of the riches. All of it. So why do we focus on the flaw in someone else's life and fail to notice the flaw in our own? Jesus taught us that helping others will end up with submission and humility and God will promote you because you focused on what is important to him. And then this is often the most, this is a misquoted scripture because it says, judge not, least you be judged. Oh, you can't judge me, right? They try to flip that around on you. Verse 42, how do you say to your friend, here, let me show you where you're wrong when you are guilty of even more than he is. You are overly critical, splitting hairs and being a hypocrite. You must acknowledge your own blind spots and deal with them before you'll be able to deal with the blind spot of your friend. Now, I want to point out a few things in the scriptures. What does it say at the very beginning? How do you say to your friend? Let's talk about the church. This is not just some random person you met on the street. This is someone that you have a relationship with. How do you look at someone that you have a relationship with and say, let me show you where you're wrong when you are already stumbling in that area? If you don't have freedom, revelation, knowledge in a certain area, don't look at someone else and criticize their struggles. Right? You first have to acknowledge your own blind spot. You have to get rid of that problem in your life. Why does God want us to get rid of these problems in our life? Well, he didn't stop the scripture till the very end because when you find freedom in your life, you can now help someone else. Why does he want freedom in your life? To give you the ability to set someone else free. Yes, he wants to see freedom in your life, but it's not about you. It's about your ability to help other people. We got to get out of this mindset of focusing on this whole kingdom and this whole scripture and this whole Bible is about me. When in all reality, it's about others. It's about others. Ephesians 5.19 says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. Submitting to one another. What does that mean? That means I want to have a relationship. We should all have a relationship where we know someone has victory in an area of their life and they're going to come to me and they're going to help me. They're not coming to pick. They're not coming to let everyone know that I have a problem. They're not coming just to put me down. They're coming to help because they want to see me obtain victory in an area where I have none. They want to see me have freedom in an area where I'm in bondage. They want to see me have revelation in an area where I'm blind. But that relationship doesn't happen until we first consider one another, love one another, have mercy and compassion towards one another. If that process doesn't happen first, we're never able to help somebody gain revelation and freedom in their life. 
that's why submission is important, but submission done right. And it translates into marriage. A wife will never submit to a husband if she doesn't first think the husband loves her. This is a reciprocal thing. It should all happen at the same time. If a wife is having a struggle forgiving, the husband needs to check his love levels. Am I loving my wife? Am I doing what God called me to do? Right? And vice versa. Now, submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. True submission is spiritual, not natural. It's a spiritual thing. It's born out of love and respect and reverence for God. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. That word fear means reverence, respect, honor. Why do we submit to one another? Because we honor God. And he's the one that told us, put somebody else up. Forget about yourself, help somebody else. Build somebody else up. Sing to somebody in a natural, spiritual sim, a hymn and songs and singing, make a melody in your heart. What does that do? We're building each other up. Come in with a word from someone. I was reading, I was reading this over here and I just want to share this with you and I just want to encourage you. Stand and fight the good fight of faith and I'm believing God that he gives you what you're looking for. I'm believing God that there's this, you know? When we're walking into church, focused on, okay, God, what do you have for me today? Instead of walking into the church, thinking about how we can bless and minister to everyone else around, we've got too much selfishness in our life. Now, this starts in the house, and this is why the devil has been coming, across the, becoming against the family for so long, trying to destroy the family, trying to get rid of dual parent families, Right? Submission begins in the home. God designed the home to be a place of love and growth, right? If we're struggling with the response of our children, we need to check our love levels. Are we loving as much as we are instructing? Submission is not abuse, force. This is why a lot of people have problems with submission in their adulthood is because there was too much abuse in their childhood. When a parent demanded things. That's how it was way back in the day. I remember that with my dad and with grandpa. You know, there was just things that were just done. It was just forced. Right? Felt more like military than family. And it created hardness in our hearts, in our lives. It created calluses. And those calluses are there trying to protect because of damage that was done. But it's never how God intended it. But if we don't get rid of those calluses, we'll never feel. You'll never feel the complete depth of love for one another if there's calluses in your life. And those calluses come through a healing process. But just because there was abuse or problems doesn't mean God didn't design it. He says in Ephesians 6.1, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. What does it say? When there's love in that relationship and children choose honor, it means they get to live a long life. It says, with long life, I will satisfy you. Then be well with you and you'll live long on this earth. Live long on this earth. See, a while back we were in, well, you know, and then back when we were in Illinois, it seemed like every couple months a kid was getting a car accident and dying. You know, and I shared some of this with my kids, probably not the extent of everything that I walked through, but it hit me hard. Hit me hard again last night. We were watching The Crown. They came out with a few new, few new seasons of The Crown, and in this season, Princess Diana dies in a car accident. 
which I knew of all that, and that didn't really even bother me. What got to me is the guy that she was with, the car that she was with, was another guy that was trying to woo her, you know, whatever. And uh, his dad, his dad went to the morgue to pick up his son's body. Man, I was just laying in bed, just tears flowing down my face. Tears flowing down my face. Long life on the earth is a promise when children are obedient. If the children aren't obedient, as a parent, I first have to check, have I loved them enough? All the way back when all these accidents were happening, these kids were dying, and I go to the Lord, and I'm crying out saying, protect, and ch- protect my children. And it says, well, if they're obedient, they'll live long. Well, you can respond one of two ways. You can try to force obedience, or you can love your kids so much that the willingness and submission comes naturally. Which way are we going to go? Now, we teach obedience. The Bible says if you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. If you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. We teach obedience in our children. And there's a reason you teach it at a very young age, and it's something that should be learned. I'll never forget. I always thought it was kind of funny, but I I got in trouble a lot as a kid. I know that's a shocker. You all are like, what? You know? And we got spanked when I was a kid. Dad pulled out a paddle and whooped your butt. And I'll forget every single time. My parents had their way of doing it. Everybody can your own in a different way. You know, we spanked our kids. Mom had a wooden spoon tucked in the visor of the car. They were everywhere. There was always a spoon mom could whip out and whip a butt. It was there, right? My parents did this thing where if you were in trouble, you got sent to the bathroom. And you had to sit in that bathroom for five minutes before mom and dad would ever come in and give you your spanking. Like you had to just sit and think about the torture was coming. At the time, that's what I felt as a kid. Oh, I got to sit and dwell on this and how I screwed up and I shouldn't have done this and so on. What mom and dad were doing is mom and dad did that because they read in the Bible, don't discipline out of anger. And they wanted to get rid of the anger of why the discipline was coming so that they could discipline with love. And I remember them walking in every single time. This, this hurts me more than it does you. I really, I'm doing this because I love you. And as a kid, you're like, that's weird and twisted. You love me and you're beating my butt. You know, you're bringing pain into my life because you... What I'm really understanding now is the more I love my kids, right? Love takes on all kinds of forms. Love is discipline. Love is instruction. Love is guidance. Love is also compassion. Love is long-suffering. Love knows all things, hopes all things, right? We know what love is. We can go into the whole scripture of what love is. But where is the love? Where is the love, right? If we want to know why there's a resistance or rebellion problem in our kids, before we just start praying the devil out of our kids, we first check us. Where is the love? Am I doing this right? If you have a relationship in your life where you're experiencing resistance, rebellion, or kickback, look at yourself first. Where's the love? Have I loved enough? Because if I've loved enough, I should have an opportunity to step in. And if they know that I love, then I can step in and help bring correction in life because they know it's coming from a place of love, not a place of judgment. Which is why the world so much has this whole problem of don't judge me is because the devil has convinced them that no one loves them. And most of these people that are in this extreme state is usually tons of depression, tons of anxiety, and they feel like no one loves them. Is a love problem. Children obey your parents and the Lord for this is right because it's how God made it, how God designed it. It's the same principle. Now, 
Grace and peace. James 4, 6. He gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Grace is our ability to produce what God's asking us to do. If we feel like we don't have grace to do something, we need to check our humility levels. He gives grace to the humble. We want more grace? Check how humble we are, right? He resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. Therefore, I'm going to skip a slide, Dave. Submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You can't get the devil out of your life without understanding what submission is. The submitting to God, I'm going to honor him and choose his way and do it God's way, gets rid of the devil in your life. Because when you resist him from a place of submission, he has to leave. He has no choice. He has no choice. So who gets the grace of God? Humble. Proud don't get grace. Rebellion is a manifestation of pride. When there's rebellion in your life, there's pride in your life. One of the biggest reasons people don't submit to God is because of pride and selfishness. It's one of the biggest reasons. But you can only get rid of the devil in your life from a place of submission. Now, James 4, 7 says this in the Wiest translation. Be subject with implicit obedience to God at once and once for all. Stand immovable against the onset of the devil and he will flee from you. That submission means be subject with implicit obedience. I'm gonna do what God is telling me to do. I'm gonna do it his way and not my way. I'm gonna submit to him and do it the kingdom way and not my way. And then I'm gonna stand against the devil and he's gonna be gone because I'm doing it God's way. When you try to do it the world's way and resist the devil, the devil's like, this is my world. I'm the one that messed it up. Now you're doing it my way. I don't have to go anywhere. Right? You can only resist him from a place of obedience. Now, when we start to look at faith, it looks like this. It looks like the centurion soldier. Now let's look at this. In verse 1 of Luke 7, Now when he conduct, concluded all his sayings in the, in the hearing of the people, he entered a Capernaum. Which I found this interesting. Capernaum actually is every, every town name, every city name, especially in the Old Testament and New Testament, names meant something. They, when you name your kid, you're prophesying something in their future because names had meaning. Um, that word Capernaum means village of comfort. People stuck in their comfort zone. And a certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, what did the centurion do? He heard about Jesus. He heard about the miracles and things that were going on. He knew that it was in a world that he was not in. Faith True faith, the God kind of faith, faith that produces miracles, requires submission. It requires submission. It requires submitting to God's way of doing things and not man's way of doing things. The centurion was a man of authority. We learn that later on in the scriptures. He was a man of power. He was a man that said stuff and people did stuff, right? He could have looked and said, I have authority. Who's the, I know this Jesus is performing miracles, but I'm the one that has authority, right? Some people get power hungry in this world. They get so caught up in the world's way of doing things. I have the money. I saw this a lot in the hospital world. I'm sick. I don't feel good. I'm going to come in here and my money should change things. I should be treated better than other people. I, better I, I should be priority over other people. They think they can buy rank and then they try to come into the church and do the same thing. 
right? I'm going to come in here and somehow buy rank. It's not how God operates. He heard about Jesus. He sent his elders and Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving, for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. You know what that teaches us? He already had a good reputation. He was already starting to operate in kingdom principles, even with his own employees. His own employees looked at him and said he deserves this. He's a man of honor. He's a man that understands. He begins to tell us a little bit about the character of this soldier. Now, then Jesus went with him. And when he already was not far off from the house, the centurion sent friends to find him and saying, Lord, don't even bother coming because I'm not worthy you should enter. What does he say? I'm not worthy. He's humbling himself. He's showing humility. He's saying, I'm no big thing. I might have authority and people under me and I might be this great man at Centurion's soul. I'm nobody in your, I'm nobody in the kingdom. I'm not even worthy of this. Just, just speak the word. Therefore, I don't even think myself worthy to come to you. Say the word and my servant will be healed. I'm not worthy of this. I just want to see this healing. Just speak the word. Do you know that submission will change your position? Position requires submission. You want to be something in the kingdom of God? You have to have submission. He says, for I am also a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me and say to me, the one go and he goes and another come and he comes and to my servant do this and he does this. What's he describing? He's describing submission and authority in the world's way and he's trying to relate it to God's way and he realizes I'm nothing in the kingdom of heaven. I might have authority out here, but that means nothing. You're the one. I recognize and honor the authority that you're carrying and I'm submitting to this. Jesus heard these things and marveled and is one of the two times in the New Testament where Jesus says this is great faith. Not just faith, great faith. And he said, I've not even seen this, not even in Israel. How do you want to, if you want to know how to take your faith from regular faith to great faith, learn what submission really is. It means I'm getting rid of pride. I'm getting rid of rebellion. I'm re getting rid of my desire to do it my way and all focused on me. And I am submitting to God. I want to honor him. I want to put him first. I want to ask him, how would you do this? Right? You're the one that carries the authority. When you submit to God, your faith becomes great. And you'll see change drastically in your life father i thank you for this morning i thank you for the opportunity to come together and learn what faith really means father i know submission has gotten a bad rap i know that the devil has tried to tear it into this thing that is forced that is ugly that is abuse people often think submission and abuse are the same thing but we know that's not true submission is from a place of humility and a place of honor Father, help us understand what true spiritual submission means and is in our life. Father, help us to give up those things that we've been clinging on to that are not from you, things that we know we need to get rid of in our life that we know are not from you, things that are holding us back, things that are keeping us spiritually blind and we're not seeing the revelation. Father, help us love one another so much and love be so prevalent in this place that we can help each other grow 
that when someone comes to someone else and says, let me help you with an area you're struggling in, they know it comes from a place of love. We love each other so much that we don't want to see each other left behind. We don't want to see each other struggling. We don't want to see each other hurting. We don't want to see each other in darkness and blind spiritually, Father. We love each other so much that we get revelation in our life to share with others. The revelation and the spiritual sight you're giving us is not only for us, but it's for everyone else around us. Father, help us to put away things that are unimportant, things that you never asked us to do in the first place, to focus on your kingdom and what you want us to do. Thank you for the grace and the empowerment to see it happen and for not leaving anyone behind, but helping everyone grow in revelation and knowledge and the love of Jesus. Thank you, Father, that love reigns supreme in this house. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. Have a wonderful day. I know submission is not a Thanksgiving message, but it's what God wanted to talk about today. So that's what we're talking about today. Amen. Hi, this is Pastor Paul, and I wanted to thank you personally for joining us today. Now, if you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do that will help us out. Hit the subscribe button and rate and review our podcast. If you would like to invest in helping us reach more people for Christ, head over to livingwordpensacola.com and click on the online giving button. Thanks again for joining us today. Now go out and tell somebody about the love of Jesus.